I poured water on the baby's head. And it's like, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son. And then the kiddo, like, I poured it and it went right in his eye. And it went, I was like, whoa. And I was like, and of the Holy Spirit. And I was like, oh gosh, if I add a woe. Anyway, and I consulted like on the internet and I'm fine. It was valid baptism. That was actually a very healing moment for me because I, <laughs> my first, you do the same thing? I had a similar thing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crab on the Cross podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose, and today is the last episode of season one. This has been so cool, so much fun. It has always been a dream of mine to start a podcast, and so many of the tools to do it just fell into my lap, and I have been so honored by the guests who have agreed to be on a podcast that didn't even exist when they agreed to be interviewed. Um, and I can't thank them enough for uh, the generosity of their time and just the the wisdom and insights they've shared. Uh, I also want to give a huge thank you to Father Scott Woods of Sacred Heart Church in La Plata, who allowed me to use the professional recording studio owned by the church. And a huge thanks to Bill Wanell who manages the studio for assisting me with all things tech related and just allowing me to occupy his space um, and his Google calendar. And of course, a huge thanks to all of you for actually listening to the podcast. That's kind of the key thing. I could put out the world's greatest podcast and if nobody's listening, then it doesn't really matter. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing it with others, for recommending it, um, and, and just for all the kind messages I've received from, from people letting me know that they're enjoying the podcast. Don't worry, the podcast is coming back for a second season. I have a lot of awesome interviews in store for you already, um, so stick around to the end of the episode and, and I'll share a little bit more about season two. Um, but for now, we're going to take a couple weeks off um, to enjoy the Christmas season. And um, also, if you follow me over on YouTube at The Crab and the Cross, I'm going to be releasing a couple short YouTube videos. So you'll have to check those out. Let me know what you think uh, and if there's other topics that you want me to explore. I definitely just want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. If you follow me on Instagram, there will be some special gift giveaways coming up. Um, I'll be giving away some books from some of the authors that I've interviewed this season, as well as a very, very cool custom Crab in the Cross figurine. Uh, so definitely um, follow me over there at the Crab in the Cross podcast on Instagram. And if you would like to show your support for the podcast, the best way you can do that is to give me a five-star written review in Apple Podcasts. Just share a couple of sentences about what you enjoy about the podcast and what listeners can expect from it. Um, in this final episode, I interview not one, but three people, three brand new, squeaky clean uh, new car smell priests 
they are are three men I've known for a long time, long before they were priests, and and I'm so honored and humbled to see them um, stepping into this incredible vocation. So it it was a delight and a challenge in a way to to interview three people rather than just one person. Uh, but I think it, it's just yeah we we talk about what it was like being ordained, what it was like being a seminary, what their experiences were celebrating all the sacraments for the first time, um, what special charisms they they think they bring to to the priesthood. Uh, so just a lot of fun. Um, definitely a, a sign of hope for the church. So yeah, wow. We did it. Season one in the books. That's a wrap. And now my conversation with fathers, Ryan Brom, Alex Weibel, and Kyle Vance. Mike check. Mike check. Uh, Mike Beautiful. Everyone sounds good. Good. Yep. Yep. Beautiful. All right. So, um, normally I do like in, like I read a bio about the person I'm talking about, but since I've got three of you, I'm just going to, uh, like when I hit, when I say start, we're just going to have you guys introduce yourself, say, you know, your name, <laughs> social security number, birthday. Okay. Uh, <laughs> in that order? Uh, mother's maiden name. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> mother's. Uh, my, my Lots first grade teacher. <laughs> the name of my first dog i i i did um i had Your a first born dog <laughs> yeah i was i was registering for something in like my recently and one of the security questions i could have chosen from was what's your greatest fear wow okay you're gonna wow. dying alone thanks for asking yeah yeah, yeah. i didn't choose that one because mainly because i was afraid my greatest fear might change and then i would forget what my greatest fear was at this Ooh. point in my life but it would have been so satisfying to just put nothing nothing yeah. Or fear itself. Fear itself. Mm, mm. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. Well, <laughs> we can do this on record, too. Yeah, oh, it's on. Oh, oh, it's yeah. been on the whole time. Yeah, it's yeah. recording everything. It's okay. All right, recording okay. in progress. Um. All right. So I'll just do a little intro, and then I'll have you guys introduce yourself. So Today is a special day because I have with me in the studio three guests. We have three priests under 30, been priests for less than three months, I think. Uh, that is correct. Still. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I'm going to have you go around and introduce yourself because, you know, priests, you know, some of them are like father first name, some are father last name, mm-hmm. some are father first last name. And so I'm just going to let you tell the world how you would like to be addressed. So we'll start over here. Oh, lovely. Hello. My name is Father Brom, Father Ryan Brom, usually just Father Brom. Father Brom. Um, what else do I need to say to introduce That's myself? Enough. That's okay, enough. Okay, great. <laughs> Incredible. Excellent. My name is Father Alex Weivel, but I go by Father Alex. And my name is Father Kyle Vance, but I usually go by Father Kyle. All right, so we've got one father last name, two father first names. Yeah, I guess You went I'm by just... your last name back in the day, too. No, though. exactly, yeah. That's Yo, true, Bob. that's true. Yeah. We would call him, I, I've known all these men long before, I think I know, knew all of you before you even entered seminary. This we is were, correct. We were in the musical together. We were in several back musicals back, together. Several musicals. <laughs> you were technically kind of my boss. That was, there was yeah. a thing there, yeah, where I was in charge of you. Um, yeah. Yeah, you reigned benevolently, though. Right, thank you, thank you. Um, but yeah, that's true. We, we just always called you Brom anyways before yeah. you were even father. So yeah, yeah to call you Father Ryan just was like, that. Yeah. <laughs> even during seminary, it was still Brom. Yeah. Really? Well, except like uh, working with the formators, and then it just made them feel like they were my parents or something. So. Uh, okay, okay. So... 
a couple things I want to talk about. Um, you know, you three were all in seminary together, right? You were all ordained on the same day. And so I want to hear a little bit about your seminary experience first. Like, how did it compare with what you were expecting going in? That's a good question. Um, let's see. What did I expect going in? I have to, now I have to think back <laughs> and remember what I expected going in. Um, I think going in, I was, I was pretty glad to go in. Um, I'd been at University of Maryland. I was just graduating. But um, there's a lot of good things that I saw at the seminary. I had been interested in philosophy, and I had been interested in the philosophy program at Catholic University of America for a little while. I had a bath background in math and physics, but had an interest in philosophy, and so that was really great. And then also I saw the great fraternity that they had at the seminary, um, and also just you know all the opportunities to you know grow in prayer and the spiritual life and everything like that. So I think I saw a lot of positives. Um, at seminary going in uh, to St. John Paul II Seminary, and uh, that was lar largely borne born out. So Yeah, um, that's I, good. I, I was able, I think I had a good sense of what it was going to be like, um, as much as you can before living the life yourself. Um, and it was also helpful because there's a lot of people when I came in that I knew already, either from Southern Maryland or from University of Maryland. Um, and so it was really nice to have a lot of people that I knew already, you know, various levels and degrees uh, to kind of help ease that transition. I think one thing I was surprised about was how difficult seminary could be. And I don't mean difficult in the sense that you know, the school is incredibly hard or that people are mean or anything <laughs> like that, or that um, human formation, which is one of the dimensions of formation emphasized in the program for priestly formation, which we use in the USA, it's a really intensive and comprehensive development of your kind of human abilities to relate to others. So it basically is maturity school, you know, huh. the, the, that, yeah, the human so formation aspect of seminary is like maturity school. So yeah. it means getting a lot of sometimes blunt feedback, positive and negative about what's going well and, you know, areas to grow. And it's not you know, harsh or cruel or anything, but there was a lot of areas in my life that I was really immature Maybe even I was aware of it, but I didn't expect to be told so frequently, just so you know, that was immature. So wait, th these are like the formators who will sit down with you and say, hey, listen. The formators, know. peers, everything. Okay. You know, I mean, just, wow. you know, and it's not, it's just in the culture, so it's a good thing. Uh, but that feedback ended up being very helpful and life-giving to me, but it was a little bit difficult. I, I guess just before um, my experience just growing up and in college, uh, if you were criticized, uh, I tended to, take it personally or to see sure. that it's like a, you know, if someone actually sits down and says, Hey, I noticed you did this. That means it's registering pretty high on the Richter scale of seriousness. <laughs> right. But in seminary, the culture is a little bit more, at least at John Paul II, where I did my first two years. So it's a little bit of a younger house. So it, this kind of correction was more um, common, I suppose, because it was a little bit more immaturity. <laughs> um, I guess it was pretty commonplace actually to receive feedback on, you know, Hey, you know, when you asked that question, it was a little bit out of place. Like, oh, Okay, you know, really? but it's, so not, that, you would but be it's not that of, serious, you know, yeah, it's not that's a big like a deal, very but, small it, thing but it's actually really helpful yeah. because it's just like, otherwise you would never know. That sure. Absolutely. The, the way you eat is weird, Brom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man, I kind of want to receive that. To use that. a hypothetical, yeah. to use a hypothetical <laughs> example. Yeah. I mean, you, you eat very normally, Father Brom, but uh, it's just really, it's actually normal. really helpful to have someone just say, you know, in this community for this two year period, uh, we're going to give each other full permission to give a little bit more honest and open feedback about our, you know, how our actions come off to other people, because that's really helpful mm. uh, when you go into a, a pastoral setting 
that you're not accidentally, you know, pushing people away and you're actually being a, a bridge to God and not a barrier to him wow. through your human personality. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I would definitely echo that. I mean, I guess maybe one um, nice way to describe it is, yeah, like seminary definitely um, helped to give the tools and the sort of cultivate, create the culture of living an examined life. And especially, um, I don't know, I guess like just developing a greater awareness of how one engages with other people and the sort of consequences of like different types of actions, you know, right? And just, and and because, you know, we're talking about like seminary and priesthood, I mean, uh, developing that awareness with the understanding that, you know, as a priest, there's like a, you know, a serious responsibility that's being taken up. Um, so just kind of riffing off Father Alex in that regard. I mean, I guess the only other I'd think say kind of personally is, um, yeah, there was like part of me that was like very excited for and kind of ready for like all of those kind of elements, but... I mean, especially looking back, in my, in my case, unlike Father Kyle and Father Alex, uh, I hadn't finished college when I entered seminary. I was, I was only 19 when I started. Wow. Uh, I had just finished my freshman year of college when I went in. And so in that case, especially now kind of looking back with a fuller picture, yeah, like one thing I wasn't expecting was just the sheer extent to which my kind of journey through seminary and kind of growing into the vocation of being a priest how like personal that was going to be in terms of just like growing as a person and maturing and uh, yeah. And being able to look back now and see how all of that was very much like part of the entire process in a way that, you know, when you're 19 and like ready to like, you know, take the world <laughs> by storm and, you know, do all of the like cool and exciting things to look back and be like, yeah, no, it's good. I was kind of put in a corner and told to like grow up a little bit you know, right. <laughs> for, for a few years. Did but you but it's not like along a track either. It's not as if, and you mentioned how personal it was, and yeah. I, I would definitely echo that as well, that it's not as if there's like you and then like where one is supposed to be in general. It's, it's rather here's you and, you know, here's how you can take the next step to grow into being more you. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's something I, I grew to really appreciate about seminaries because there's so, such a one-on-one -on -one and relational um, method to formation. You work with individual formators for, you know, long periods of time, ideally like a spiritual director, ideally you'd have for, you know, some extended period of time, you get to know each other well. And so the community knows you and it's actually helping you to become more you. So it's not like you need to kind of, you know, get on a track or something like yeah, that yeah, and kind of yeah. move along, but it's, it's very personal and tied to, to who you are and your areas of giftedness. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, very beautiful. Yeah. I mean, did you, Father Brahm, since you were coming in as an undergraduate still, was it hard for you to um, separate, like, just trying to finish your bachelor's degree with, like, what you're doing for seminary? Like, was it, did it seem like those were two opposite poles? Or, you know, did you ever get so stressed out about school that you weren't able to realize, like, the bigger picture of, of seminary? Uh, not really. Kind of like uh, Father Alex kind of said, like, and, I mean, mileage can vary for certain guys. In my case, I didn't find the academics in seminary, like, particularly, or I don't know, not particularly, like not debilitatingly kind of challenging. So I had that benefit. And I mean, I guess the other benefit I had too, and I mean, it was very much just God's gift and God's grace was I, when I entered seminary, I was kind of already like full send, like, let's do this. Like, um, like already was like pretty confident just kind of in my vocation. Wow. Um, 
obviously, I mean, the church had to do her part to sort of say, like, all right, let's figure out this Ryan Brown guy. Like, do we actually want to be a priest, you know? <laughs> do we want him? <laughs> do we even want him? But at least on my part, yeah, like, God was just very good to me to give me, um, yeah, just like a lot of uh, kind of energy and confidence just to be able to kind of hit the ground running and kind of go forward in that regard. So in that sense, like, yeah, coming in while an undergrad wasn't super, that didn't present any sort of particular challenges because for me it was like, oh, well, I'm finishing undergrad, but I'm in seminary and okay, cool, because, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure God wants me to be a priest. So like, yeah, this is just the way to do it. Bing, bang, boom. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about you two? Were you pretty confident in your vocation of the priesthood when you entered? Um, I'd say I think I was still figuring it out. I felt confident that I think the Lord wanted me to enter seminary at that point, but I think it was still um, something that was going to be continued to be discerned, which is part of the process of seminary times. You know, Some guys do come in very confident, and even some of the guys who do come in very confident don't always end up getting ordained they might discern out later that it's not it's not for them but um but but some guys do come in very confident and then other guys are like hey i think this is the next step that i'm being called to and we're going to continue to figure it out from here and it's going to continue to be a discernment process for a few years until we start to get close to ordination yeah i'd echo father kyle's comments Mm -hmm. okay yeah and and one thing i will sort of jump in and say as as the guy who sort of outed himself is like (laughs) i I just had it figured out like well no like i didn't have it all figured out because i mean one of the things that at least was very much part of my experience was you know sure um i had a lot of confidence when i started seminary in a sense like it was a level of confidence that matched being 19 years old sure. and having seven years until ordination right? sure right <laughs> like for sure it's one of those like yeah being is like like pretty high level of confidence for being that early on in the process right yeah. whereas like one of the really beautiful things that happened as time went on was yeah saying like yeah i'm pretty sure god wants me to be a priest means something way different when you're 19 and a sophomore in college than when you're you know you're 25 and like a few months away from diaconate ordination, right? Right. Like, and that was what was so beautiful was um, as time went on, like by God's grace, in a sense, being able to give a deeper yes mm. um, as as ordination was getting closer, which ultimately, I mean, culminates in the rite of ordination itself when you're called by name and you stand and say present. Mm. Yeah. Was there, for any of you, was there any kind of like, I don't know, like anxiety or uncertainty as you were getting up to like that moment of diaconate ordination where it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is real. This is a, a lifelong consecration. Yeah. I I definitely say I was tremendously anxious, not so much um, anxious in the sense of, oh God, am I about to throw my life away? But more a sense of um, Kierkegaard calls it fear and trembling that uh, anxiety that I'm sure Abraham felt as he was Mm -hmm. called to sacrifices. There's a sense of, you know, do I really believe that God will provide as he has promised? Mm. And whenever you face a major moment uh, where you're asked to, wh- where your faith becomes costly, you know, that, that's a moment where your faith becomes very costly. You're about to consecrate your life in such a way that you can't uh, just undo with the snap of a finger. And so you, you really are saying, I, I believe that God can somehow lead me to a fulfilled and meaningful life as a person who's made these promises I'm about to make. And uh, yeah, that, that has a certain weight to it. And I think you'd be 
lying if you said you didn't feel a little bit of you know, some fear and trembling the night before or you know in the the week leading up to it yeah i'd agree with that i'd agree with that yeah was there a sense of just like unworthiness um <laughs> you're not <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I actually thought i was pretty much <laughs> pretty much completely worthy of the, the priesthood wow uh, yeah. God, you yeah. were god's gift to us <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. i mean it continues to be yeah yeah so yeah i really don't know what you're talking about <laughs> i mean what i will say is i definitely kidding, remember yeah. okay, <laughs> just for the viewers at all <laughs> i definitely will say an interesting experience i had was i actually didn't become put it this way you know i remember early on in seminary and again i was like rah, 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 you know and, you know, would hear guys sort of be like, oh, man, I'm not worthy, you know, and I'd just be sort of like, really, guys, come on, like, you know, like, it's a, like, you think it's like a false humility that they're sort of putting uh, on, not, not like a false humility, but it, I don't know, it was just like, that just never was a thing I really was wrestling with. Okay, but then, yeah. like, lo and behold, um, yeah, it's like, you know, starting like a year out from when diaconate ordination was going to take place, and you're just like, Oh my goodness! Like <laughs> in a way, I have not realized before. Yeah, I am not not like not cut out for, but just like, wow, this is gonna this is asking a lot. Oh yeah, and this is, yeah, and like in a sense, like and and part of it's like a maturity thing, right? Like only as you like get older and develop your self awareness and self understanding, are you more able to say, wow, there are things that are gonna be asked of me, like as a priest, where. Yeah, I'm just like not good at them. Right. <laughs> or right. they're just like really a stretch for me, but I'm still gonna have to do it. And yeah, to have the and, and if anything, like it is I mean, it's beautiful because it's humiliating. Like it 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 fosters humility, which I mean ultimately praise God is order toward helping us to recognize that we really do need God's grace and God's help and to ask for it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had a powerful experience really recently, about a, about a month ago, I went on a mission trip uh, down to or any near uh, Chincoteague, Virginia, down on the eastern shore, and we just helped migrant workers um, uh, by picking potatoes, cleaning a field of potatoes for them, and then bringing them to the migrant camp. It was a really beautiful experience, but um, the area is mostly Latino, so there's you know, plenty of immigrants from Honduras, Mexico, Guatemala, and the parish there was was also, you know, there's a very, very large Spanish-speaking population. And uh, the pastor, Father Sean Fogo, uh, who was teamed up with me on the, the trip, um, he said, can you hear confessions? And uh, intellectually, I'd, you know, I had celebrated Mass in Spanish before, and intellectually I knew I could technically hear confessions. Um, and I had the formula of absolution, Spanish, right. and things like that. But boy, that was that was the first time I heard confessions in Spanish. You know, and there's a like you say, it's humiliating because here I am, um, just some guy, and I my Spanish is very poor at this moment. Working on it, but you know, it's, at this moment, it's very poor. And here I'm, I'm, you know, able to understand what they're saying and understand their sincerity, and I can say, you know, those veces Ave Maria, you know, and, and, <laughs> you know, just like these simple penances, and to tell them that you know God is so big for you, God can provide so much for you even in your sinfulness, and you know, simple things like that. But I mean, just to actually give them that and really not be able to attend to them in a more nuanced or, you know, pastorally appropriate way. I mean, I, I just felt very much 
the poverty of Jesus, mm. you know, when his strength failed him when he was carrying the cross, uh, when the people walked away from him when he gave the bread of life discourse. There's these moments where Jesus, I mean, he's God, and yet there's this apparent poverty that he can't, like, do, he can't manufacture in the people he's trying to serve, like, what he wants to do. And uh, I think it's, like, a powerful experience as a priest to, to kind of come uh, into confrontation with your objective limitations and yet to, to really have faith that God still works in that and to kind of have confidence uh, confidence to take that step anyway. Um, basically, yeah. so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of experiences of that humility, um, confrontation with limitations as a new priest. Yeah. yeah. So let's think about, uh, let's go back to ordination day, you know, just a few months ago. I always wonder about this because it's such a solemn event, but in a way, I almost wonder if there's some of the externals can almost take away from that. It's like you're in the Basilica, there's thousands of people, you're on camera, like you're on TV, you got to lay on like the cold marble floor. Like, did you feel like you were able to really be spiritually present in that, you know, as you were being ordained? Like, or, or were there's so much like racing through your mind of like, Am I going to like, you know, turn the right way or look, you know, there's so many like instructions you have to follow. I mean, a one shout out, a shout out I'll give is um, the office of worship and like the liturgy team at the shrine are absolutely top notch. So when it came to some of those kind of practic practical and mechanical things, and I mean, we had had a rehearsal a few days beforehand to sort of go through it. And, you know, the day I've had several like, priests and servers who were sort of making sure we kind of knew everything we were supposed to be doing. Um, I mean, I think one thing that helped on a practical level too is the fact that the week preceding ordination, we were also on retreat. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we had spent wow. five days in silence, like hearing talks about the priesthood and that sort of thing. And and so especially like having that kind of protracted time of prayer and preparation for ordination, I think also too just helped to really get the mind kind of focused and have you kind of zeroed in on uh, what was about to take place so that when it was all sort of happening, sure, there were a lot of things swirling around. And I mean, it's one of those, like, make sure you pray in the morning because right. it's, <laughs> it's going to be a long day, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, my experience was, yeah, I mean, it was a beautiful day and um, I mean, overwhelming, you know, uh, I can't, state the sh i mean this isn't maybe ordination itself but i mean i can't st like overstate the sheer number of times in like the first like month of priesthood i just like look in the mirror and be like i'm a priest <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so I'll, I'll say that the ordination experience was it was a blur with moments of tremendous clarity hmm. and if you watch the ritual there's since normal mass forms the skeleton, but um, with the actual ordination right in the middle there, those moments where each man individually goes up and does a thing with the bishop one-on-one, -on -one, um, sometimes it's making the promise of obedience and it's getting your hand anointed. Um, the, the, your, the, when he lays his hands on your head, these little moments, you know, I can definitely remember those crystal clear, but the parts in between, there was just a whole lot remember turning around, seeing all those people, and they applaud you. I mean, that was just a very overwhelming and moving moment. Yeah. But there's a lot in between of just being told, like, you know, you know spin around, okay, <laughs> kneel, stand, you know. And uh, 
And that's cool. Um, but those moments of clarity are really where I think God caught my attention. There was one moment I'd like to share real quick is that when I was um, prostrating on the floor, that's something I remembered uh, particularly because my diaconate ordination had occurred in St. Peter's Basilica, where a lot of the guys wow. in Rome, uh, where I went to uh, theology, so the second half of seminary, um, we, we get ordained in St. Peter's Basilica. And so that was a very memorable experience since it's the most famous basilica in the world. But then a year later, here I am at the shrine in D.C. And the, the thing I remembered most was as I was prostrating, I could see in the reflection of the marble the Trinity Dome. Whoa. And, uh, you know, it's all the saints. Yeah. And so, like, the one thing I could see uh, was just, like, the saints that we were asking to pray for us. And it was perfectly reflected in the marble. Wow. And it was just a moment of feeling their nearness and a sense of their provision in my life, even when I felt very overwhelmed and, if you, if you will, lost in the sea of, you know, energy and excitement. That was a moment where I felt very supported by the communion of saints. Yeah, it was kind of a somewhat surreal day. And like you, like you said, yeah, some, sometimes some of it looking back is a little bit of a, little bit of a blur, but I think it was, um, some, yeah, some of the nice moments, especially where just being able to be there with your class and, you know, we were kind of joking around a little bit before, right before the ordination and, uh, down downstairs in this, uh, vesting room. And then also, uh, just some of the firsts for us, you know, our first time celebrating a mass was at that that ordination mass. And oh, that's right. Yeah, that's where you all can celebrate. Yeah, we all can celebrate. And so, you know, kind of the mix of, wow, this is really cool. It's my first mass versus uh, at the same time thinking, oh, man, how how do, how do I do this right here? <laughs> Let me make sure I'm getting this right real quick. So let me yeah. look at everybody as well. Yeah. <laughs> Did you all feel different when you were doing your first mass as the principal celebrant the next day in terms of, you know, like concerns about validity. I, mean, I know that sounds super <laughs> stupid, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what no, was that like for you, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, I think... Father if, Kyle, sorry. Yeah, we're we're a mixed know, company. Uh, that's right. I am, call, I, am I the mix? Yeah, <laughs> and the listeners, yeah. I, I call Father Kyle Kyle behind your back, uh, you know, full confession. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it feels like maybe there's a little bit more pressure on you. Uh, you know, maybe if you have a celebrant and you got somebody to, you know, get your back, quote unquote, but... um. But that's your. That's the funniest concept. <laughs> as long as one of the celebrants gets it right, right, it is Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I think yeah, I guess yeah, if you're you know, it's kind of more more on you as the principal celebrant. So. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, for me, like thinking back on my first mass, it was like kind of surreal in a way, right? Because it was one of the yeah. There's a part of me that like you mean your first like the the mass the day after the mass ordination. the day after yeah, okay. yes, part of me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, by convention, that that's usually what's called the first Mass. But, yeah, I guess you could call it the Mass of Thanksgiving. Or, anyway, but, like, thinking back on that Mass, in a lot of ways it, w it was surreal because there was the part of me that, like, I don't know, had, like, served Mass a million times and had, like, you know, done practice Masses during seminary. And so in that sense, like, yeah, there was the part of me where I kind of just, like, went through all of it and... It was the first time, but in a sense, it was like it just came like naturally, which was like very beautiful. Um, 
but like there's still the like but i am doing this for the first time in much of all in front of all of these people Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah. i know i almost wonder like are you gonna get almost stage fright i mean not that the mass is a performance in that way but it is a little nerve-wracking like like you said it does it matters if you get the words right because it has Mm -hmm. to be valid (laughs) nope no lie my first baptism which i had like a month ago i hope you're not listening to this jennifer uh, she was the mother, <laughs> but, but you know, it's like I poured water on the baby's head. And it's like, I baptize you in the name of the father and of the son. And then the kiddo, like I poured it and it went right in his eye. Cause he, he shook his face, he shook his Aww. face all around, you know, and I just hit him in the eye and he's like, ah, you know, and anyway, I was like, whoa. And I was like, and of the Holy Spirit. And I was like, oh gosh, if I add a woe. Anyway, <laughs> and I consulted like on the internet and I'm fine. It was valid baptism. But if I yeah, add- it, you're right. It's kind of like the buck stops here. Yeah. Like I need to say these words. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But no, no. And yeah, if anything, you actually, that was actually a very healing moment for me because I, <laughs> my first, you do the same thing? I had a similar thing. I like, like on one of the pores, like the kids are going to start going like, ah, you know, like he starts freaking out. I was like, what? <laughs> and just like made some sort of verbal reaction. And then afterwards I was like, oh man, like I hope that was valid. Like, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any, any baptisms for you yet, Father, Father Kyle? Yeah, I've, d- I've done a couple. So okay. uh, thankfully I haven't hit him in the eye yet. So. That's good. But now I know. Oh, sorry. Everyone case. can't be perfect like Father <laughs> Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure it'll be just be a matter of time though. All right. So. I got a flex for you. Okay. I've confirmed someone. Wait, what? I'm a. I'm not a bishop. Oh, but wait, I oh, I was. I was. <laughs> th- yeah. You beat me to my joke. Get yeah, him. Yeah, get yeah, him. Yeah. Whoa, you're a bishop. No, I'm not a bishop. I. Uh, but I, you play one on TV. I play one on TV. No, it was really, really beautiful. A deathbed kind of conversion, <gasps> wow. and uh, the person uh, wanted to become Catholic. She was a lifelong Anglican. She's still alive. Oh wow! Maybe well, I saved not, her life. Yeah, not lifelong <laughs> because she became Catholic. Hey. Yeah, that's true. Wait, but was the, this the point being though that that um, it's just a beautiful. It's a beautiful experience whenever you do a sacrament for the first time. And that one particularly caught my eye because I wasn't uh, trained how to do confirmations explicitly because it's a, right, kind of a rare right. situation. Yeah. So, you know, I had the book out really in front of me. It was like, you know, really making sure I got the words right. But it's it's a very powerful moment, you know, when you when you do a sacrament for the first time. You know, there's there's only six times you'll ever do that in your life you know there's not that many sacraments unless you end up <laughs> ordaining someone a priest one day you know but uh father yes. kyle yeah father kyle father Alex. Alex. yeah yeah but, uh, yeah yeah who's gonna be the, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. i don't know if anyone would be a bishop but who who would it be yeah please over my dead body yeah you'll <laughs> oh, have to drag me but uh, the, the the point being that um it's a very powerful and singular moment in a priest's life and you'll remember every single you know one of the first sacraments you celebrated and other moments too, like funerals, that's not a different yep. sacrament, but it's still a different kind of liturgical experience. And boy, you know, you just, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to share that moment with those people. And they're a part of your story forever. Wow. Even the baby whose <laughs> eye I injured, you know, <laughs> like pouring water into it. Yeah, like, okay, speaking of like valid and invalid, like you mentioned funerals. They're not sacraments, but like when my aunt was getting... Um, during her funeral and then when she, during her burial, her name is Rosemary, and the priest kept saying Mary Rose. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 not yet, not yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, that's funny it's because morbid. it was really more. It was really not a good moment for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's just really funny too, because like one of the classic things, you know, pull you know pull back the curtain on this one. Like one of the classic things when it comes to like funerals, baptisms, weddings, it's like. Oh man, gotta make sure I have the names down. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, like, sure, you have some people, like, some cases, like, I mean, praise God, where it's like, 
you're doing the marriage for like friend of yours or you you're baptizing your friends like you know their personal connections and it's like like of course i'm going to remember the name you know but there are other cases where yeah you just meet so many people as a priest and names get swirled around and yeah yeah that that's sort of like the classic horror story to like right right i now pronounce you yeah do you you say the wrong names for the vows and then you have to i guess you have to redo it right do you thomas take Shirley and well, I mean, usually the couple says the vows. So I guess that's true. That's true. (laughs) Typically, you're like feeding them the vow line by line. They'd probably be like, "Oh, actually, no, that's uh, Tiffany, not Stacy, you know, or whatever." You know. (laughs) Well, well, when um, were any of you at my sister, my younger sister's wedding, Liz and Richie? Yeah, Uh, I wasn't. I I was there. Okay. I was there, but I wasn't able to stay for the reception. Okay, but at the wedding, I don't know if you remember, they they had a traditional like Latin mass and like the nuptial mass and all that, and it was like. it was like kind of really tense, I think, honestly, <laughs> um, because the priest was very new to saying Latin mass. I think he was really like nervous. But at the end, you know, he kind of did like a just an informal like, and now we present to you for the first time, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and the um, the subdeacon was like s- sort of feeding him um, our nickname for them uh, as opposed to like their real, their real last oh, name is Schwartz. Yeah, and he's that. like, Depper, Depper Schwartz. Schwartz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> Wait, did the priest end up saying like? Yeah, Mr. Father Mrs. Scott. He was like Miss Elizabeth and Rich, or Linwood and Elizabeth Depper Schwartz, and he was like, I mean, I mean Depper Schmidt, I mean Schwartz. <laughs> it was great, and we all needed it because we were all just like a sigh of relief after this like two and a half hour like Latin journey. Um, but anyways, so okay, so any, no one else has said a confirmation. Nope. Anyone else? Uh, anyone did any marriages? Yeah, any marriages? I've Not done. Yet. I've done a marriage before. Uh, but it actually was while I was a deacon. It was a, it was oh. a convalidation. So okay. Oh, cool. I haven't had a, any marriages yet. As Yo, that counts, man. That counts. That true. counts, true. man. Our father man. Father man. <laughs> um, Padre. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The teenagers. When I work with teenagers, they all call me, like, dude and man. I'm like, hey, really? that's, that's father dude. Father dude. Uh, that's dude. right. Father yeah. man. Padre man. man. Father man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get your act straight. Wow. Wow. Um, I know you guys can't share too much about hearing confessions because of the seal of confession, but can you talk a little bit about what, I mean, just, I don't know, what you've learned from hearing confessions or, or what it's like to kind of be on your side of the confessional for the first time? I got this one. I, I, uh, I think it's a common thing that priests say that they don't remember kind of confessions, and it's something that's comforting to say to people in particular because I think the general intuition would be I'm a little scared to go to confession because I'm worried the priest will remember my sins. And I, I this isn't just like some line. It actually is my experience, but I, I remember everyone's confession, but not so much like what they did, how it, but more how it felt for me, mm. how humbling it felt for me for them to humble themselves in that way. So mm. I don't really, yeah, it is kind of fuzzy. Like I don't really care or remember what people say right. it's not, I don't care but I you know what I mean you, you do kind of move on from that but I do really remember like wow like what a privilege you know that uh, that you would you would disclose this that you would share this burden you know with with me just some guy just because of the the role in the office that I represent to you and uh, I think any priest who can't respond to that degree of humility with uh, great tenderness and mercy is just missing the point totally um, and it's just really beautiful to kind of meet people's maybe expectations that you would judge or condemn or remember or think of them through the lens of their sin for you to just very clearly and invisibly respond, not with that expectation, but rather with, with surprising and almost shocking mercy. I just love 
doing that for people because you can just see how it rewrites the script in their mind about how God looks at them. That God isn't kind of disappointed or angry at them. It's not like God really needed you to help him out and just get it right. And, oh, he just messed up again. But rather, like, no, God God just rejoices that you come back and that you humble yourself and you, you say your sins. It's just a really beautiful experience. And I'll, you know, I just never forget how grateful I am and how humbling it is to receive that, you know, from people. So that's just been a really meaningful part of priesthood so far. And I'm uh, really happy to tell people that, that, you know, I don't look yeah. at you and the lens of your Ah, <laughs> uh, there's but, the greedy but, uh, one. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's not that at all. Yeah. I mean, not at all. It's like almost the complete opposite. Wow. That's like, beautiful. wow, there, there's the humble one. Wow. You know? Like, wow. Yeah, People I are great. Yeah, no, and I definitely want to echo that. And I mean, one of the beautiful things about my first assignment is, yeah, like I've just already had a, a lot, a lot of opportunities to hear confessions. Um, and yeah, I know I, it's just been really beautiful because I mean, I think especially hearing confessions is one of those things when you're in set. Well, again, similar timetable, right? Like early on in seminary, it's like, ah, it'll be fine. You right. Know? <laughs> and then you're like four months out from priesthood and you've been taking the class on how to hear confessions and you're doing case studies and you're like, oh my goodness, how will I ever know what to say? You know, it, it's just easier to be overwhelmed with like, wow, there's just so much to know and so many different situations to sort of, you know, run into. And But again, I mean, just like so beautiful to, you know, get ordained and then actually, you know, be doing the thing. And in a sense, like, to experience the wonderful news that, like, actually, no, like, seminary, like, did a good job preparing for this. Yeah. Because um, in a sense, like, you know, I don't know, kind of working through, like, the case studies or whatever. Like, I don't know. It's helpful. But... Yeah, I'm, I've always wondered about that. Like, what are you doing? I mean, obviously, you learn the formula and the theology behind it. But, like... Do they do like, um, okay, let's say somebody comes in and they confess X, Y, and Z. Like they yeah. kind of give you a. So at least in my seminary, we had a class where um, it was like two parts theology and like one part and like the kind of academic component of like just learning about the sacrament, the history. And then a, uh, like one part, um, like kind of practical, like, yeah. and what we did was role plays. And so the idea was like the professor each class, like you know, one guy would be the confessor, the other guy would be the penitent, and the professor had, like, a particular sort of penitent, like, prepared for the person to play. Oh, wow. And and so that was good because, I mean, it really kind of ran the gambit in terms of showing you all of the different possible scenarios that could happen. Yeah, are there, are there, are there different archetypes of, like, people that come to confession? Honestly, like, it's not even, it wasn't even that as much as it, well, I mean, there was a little bit of that, like, oh, okay, like, what do you do if you have, you know, how do you handle a confession for like adultery or something, you know, right. like some of these like kind of more heavier, yeah. heavier, serious ones. Um, but others were just sort of like little gotchas. Like one mm-hmm. scenario that came up was like, okay, so for this scenario, like, okay, God being the confessor, you're like a university professor and you like teach this kind of course. And then the penit, you know, then the guy comes in to be the penitent and it's, one of the students oh, in the class yeah. and there had been an exam earlier that week and they confessed like cheating on the exam. Oh, whoa, and, so then yeah. it, and so it was just one of those kind of fun cases to like kind of have the class talk through like, you know, okay, what do you do with the seal in that case? You know, right. and just and making sure to respect the seal. And I don't know. And so it was, it was definitely helpful to like kind of have different scenarios that you wouldn't have like come up with on your own with like no experience and to have a chance to like kind of think through those. And so that's like helpful. Mm. But um, but actually, like, kind of 
in the box, hearing the confessions and just realizing like, I don't know. And the other guys can maybe echo this, but I mean, so much of it's just like your own kind of spiritual formation, you know, your own relationship with the Lord. That's very much kind of supporting and directing you in terms of like how to engage the people that are coming to confession. Cause yeah, I mean that in a sense, like not in a sense, I mean like, that that's at the heart of what the whole thing's about, you know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the cool things about confession too is just that it's one of the places where you get to encounter people at at the deepest level in your ministry and uh, yeah. yeah, get to you know hear people's stories in a way that you don't always get to hear um, outside the confessional as well, unless you perhaps like get to know them really, 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 really well. So, and you even then, you know, maybe you still hear things that you would never hear otherwise and, and you know it's kind of beautiful stories even as people are struggling at times yeah all right so flash forward to the present uh you guys have been a priest priest for like i said almost three months um what has that been like you know do you feel like you're getting into the routine of the life of a priesthood or is it still every day is like you never know what to expect i mean what what have it what has it been like i'm a big fan of uh, my rector told me once at my, my seminary I was, I was at, um, he said, take one six-hour chunk of your day. So if most people are awake for about 18 hours of the day or 16 to 18 hours, take one you know, five- or six-hour chunk, and that should be kind of defined by you. And that's really, really important because I noticed that a lot of priests, the tendency is to um, – kind of collapse most of your schedule into like reaction mode where you're, mm. you're on call and responding to the the needs of other people, which is beautiful and right. awesome. But chances are if you were to live 100% of your life in reaction to emergencies mode, you're probably at least going to neglect prayer, study, exercise, you know, reasonable self-care. I don't mean like taking bubble baths. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean like doing things that are a little bit challenging but also are recreational for you in the sense they recreate you you know going out and hanging out with your friends that's challenging you have to call a friend you have to <laughs> a time no i'm serious it's I mean, true like, it's true yeah. i i was in uh my my parish assignment this summer um I, it was just a brief pro temp assignment but i was in Huntingtown, and i was in a bit of a young priest desert in the sense that i was about you know 45 minutes from the nearest priest who was in my ordination class. So that was a little challenging that I was a little far away from other priests who were close to age in me. Um, and sure enough, there was a two-week period where my day off just got gobbled up by administrative mm, tasks, yeah. you know, getting the car oil change, going to the grocery store, you know, got to update my driver's license. <laughs> I got summoned to jury duty. Oh, you no, know, oh like, no. You know, uh, you just have to take care of stuff. And... I felt it after two weeks of not having a proper day off. I mean, sure, getting dinners with families are, are awesome, but you are a little bit on call. Mm-hmm. You're a little oh, bit yeah. on when you're yep. at a family's house. You might love the family. They're wonderful, but they're still your parishioners. And so sure enough, something might come up that's business. You know, like, hey, did you talk to the pastor about so-and-so? Because I was thinking about, you know, and all of a sudden we're talking about work again. Whereas everyone who, you know, works normal people jobs, not priest job, uh, but normal people jobs, like, there's a healthy appreciation of the need to have some space in your life, some space in your life that is 
you know, separate from that, where you can, you can decompress a little bit about from the concerns you spend most of your day uh, attending to. So for me, that six hour rule is crucial mm -hmm. to try to block it into one chunk of time where you, you say, I'm just going to take care of kind of my stuff for this time so that it doesn't creep into things like your day off or ideally you're actually, you know, making that 45 minute drive to make sure you're spending time with other, other priests, make sure you're taking time to do, you know, activities you like, hobbies you like, you know, things that are a little bit more recreational for you. And that six hour rule has been a huge part, like the backbone actually of my schedule. Mm -hmm. I make it the first six hours of my day. So I, you know, get up, I pray, eat a little bit of breakfast, um, get some reading in, go to the gym. Um, and then I, I come into work. It's a oh, okay. bit, I'm a little bit later. Yeah. I'll have my morning mass in there as right. well. So I will come in and, and say mass, but I, I get right out of there and I kind of make sure I keep praying and keep doing the things I need to do. And it, it, at first it was a little bit stiff because it's like, why is Father Alex out all morning? Right. Well, it's like, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to dinner at family's houses at night. Exactly. Yeah. So if I don't do it now, it's never going to happen. And that was a little, a little tweak, but boy, like once I started doing that, I felt a lot more anchored in yeah. my ministry. Oh yeah. I mean, that's like for me too, just as a campus minister, it's a very similar thing in the sense that like my job is a ministry and that can be all hours of the day and night. And so I have to be say, like, I mean, I'm kind of similar to you. I'll be like, all right, well, if I'm going to be there till 10 PM, like, you know, let me have some block out some time in the morning to do my stuff. So then I can come and be present to the students, you know, later on the day. Yeah. No, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I kind of had a fun experience when I started out at my parish assignment because uh, I'm the parochial vicar at St. John's down in Hollywood, Maryland, and the fun thing there is the fact that, oh, hey, I used to work at the parish yeah. at the summer program, <laughs> like, back in the day. So it was kind of, I, I mean, beyond words, really, in terms of how beautiful it was, you know, years later to now be a priest and to come back to that context, that community, in, albeit, like, a very new way. Right. <laughs> um, but to come back. But it, it also made things like the transition, like, really easy. Oh, I bet, Because it yeah. was like okay, well, now I'll just, like, slip back into this kind of routine I've seen before and I've lived before, except, okay, well, now I'm the one hearing confessions right. during <laughs> afternoon adoration, you know, right. that sort of thing. Um, but so, if anything, though, definitely once that winded down at the beginning of August and then the school year started going, it was like, oh, now this is, like, a completely different set of transitions. Because part of it, too, was the fact that, you know, during the summer you had seminarians living in the rectory. Oh, and, true. And so it's just one of these things, like, once the switch kind of flipped over to, oh, okay, now, because my pastor, he lives in a separate building from me. So it's like, okay, now now I sort of have my own space. And, you know, we don't have all this camp stuff that's sort of like kind of imposing a lot of demands on my time and my availability. Yeah, kind of similar to Father Alex. Like, oh, now, now there's a lot of flexibility on my part to sort of say like, okay, what does the day kind of look like? Yeah. Um, which... Yeah, and I mean, I definitely want to kind of echo a lot of what Father Alex said, just in terms of like, I don't know, uh, <laughs> say it this way: it's like, yeah, just trying to cultivate a like reasonable and like a reasonable sobriety about like what it means to be a human being, right? <laughs> and how to like go about that in a responsible way, and to not have these um, sort of, I don't know, like well-intentioned but sort of like distorted sort of sets of expectations that are easy to sort of like kind of. Uh, hang on to priesthood mm. because yeah i mean there are a lot of like theological statements that are like good true and beautiful about the priesthood in terms of like the importance of sacramental ministry and all those sorts of things but it's easy to like absolutize that into 
oh my, I, I guess I just have to live the life of a superhero, you know? Right. Well, yeah, and especially for a young priest. And I mean, I could just imagine if you just go full, you know, John Vianney, like for the first five years of your priesthood, you're just going to be really burnt out probably. <laughs> and then you're going to like reassess like your whole life. And like, it might be, yeah, good to kind of allow God to form you, mm-hmm. you know, maybe into this John Vianney who spends 18 hours a day, you know, here in the sacraments or in sacraments, but... Yeah, but it's an expression of your own charisms, mm. and that's the key. Yeah. Like, I think every one of us can point to things that we have, like, unlimited energy for, but they would be three different things. Mm. Or maybe yeah. whatever. Maybe some of us have multiple things. I love doing admin. I love... Whoa! I love Whoa. <laughs> spreadsheets oh and my data analysis. That, that is a gift, though. That is such... And, and, and I thought that other people like this. <laughs> and actually, no one likes it. Um, is that why you'll work, work in the pastoral center in the future? Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Wait, now I'm I curious. I said it on yeah. record. Uh, no, but I, I mean, I love it. So like, we did a parish survey, and I wanted to, like, oh. collect the data and analyze who needs outreach and, like, you know, organize a targeted outreach program and all that. And it was like I just, you know, whipped up an Excel spreadsheet and did that, and it was awesome. And they were like, wow, thanks for taking one for the team. It's like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, I would do this for fun. You know, like, this, is, this was so fun. <laughs> And, uh, you know, oh, conditional formatting, don't get me started, you know? Oh, If gosh. they know three or more households, it's a green cell automatically. Oh, my god! One to two households, yellow cell. Can They're in danger. Can you be my secretary? They don't know anyone, <laughs> red cell. That's like, you know, yeah. threat level midnight. So <laughs> the point being, conditional formatting is great. Uh, admin is a thing that many people find extremely burdensome, and I really like it. Uh, but, oh, my gosh, like, Know, all night vigils in the chapel that's mm. not my charism okay. okay and i've definitely been on retreats where people were signing up for those midnight you know 4 a.m adoration slots and i felt i've got to do that because then i'll be john vianney right <laughs> you know and uh and there's a little part of me that wanted to do that you know and i i have done it and i noticed the next day it's like why did i do that you know that yeah. was was that really coming from god or is that coming from my own expectations of myself that that's what holiness looks like for me Maybe that's what holiness looks like for Father Kyle Vance or Father Ryan Brom. It really depends on kind of what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. But it's important to not trivialize your own charisms because they might be very ordinary, like admin <laughs> or, you know, leadership or, you know, hospitality, mm-hmm. cooking. You know, these are all like legitimate things that some people would have a lot of energy for. But it's also important to not... Um, uh, not project, you know, certain charisms as being more holy than others and then say, I need to do that because I'm a priest. Right. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. if everyone does the 4 a.m. holy hour, nobody does the 8 p.m. or the, right. you know. Right, right, yeah. It, it makes sense, yeah. Or God forbid, the 9 a.m. holy hour after daily mass. Like <laughs> Amen. people do. Hallelujah, that's for me. <laughs> that's I, no, for I'm me, more of like the, new, I'm like the noon mass oh, and like yeah. the 3 yeah, right. p.m. Right. Yeah, like. <laughs> well, you're a college campus minister. That's it's nice. true, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, mean, uh, you know, St. Paul did give administration as one of the uh, spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians, I think, like chapter 12 or 14. Paul's so funny. And then he's like, strive for the great ones. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Like, work at them, you know? Like, you know, maybe one day you'll handle serpents like the big boys. (laughs) I I think he said the greatest one was love. That's that's chapter 15. Boring. Uh, I don't know if love is a spiritual gift as much as just, uh, you know, the highest thing that there is but i think if you actually look at the list which we had recently in daily mass it's like prophecy is the highest but actually lowest is speaking in tongues so administration ranks higher than speaking hey. in tongues i think wow 
So there you go. What are your gifts, Father Kyle? Yeah, now I want to know. What I, do you have unlimited energy for? Yeah, what do you have unlimited energy for? Still, still discerning, you know. Still, still discerning. discerning. Uh, I, I he just doesn't. Want, he doesn't want to work in the pastoral center. That's all. <laughs> he doesn't want to say add <laughs> yeah, yeah. spreadsheets. <laughs> you and I, my my man, we're gonna we're gonna be doing our spreadsheets together. I'm just praying for uh, you know prophecy in the meantime. Oh, okay, so nice, yeah. nice. I go for that one. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> It is, it is one of the higher ones. St. Paul says, you know, aim for the higher spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Yeah, so. he does. What about you, Father Brown? Um, that's a great question. I mean... I'll say, I think, I don't know. I think you are a great preacher already. Oh. I haven't really heard you guys preach too much, so I can't I say mean, for sure. I but, think, I think but I think Father, Father Brown, you, you gave like some killer, killer maybe is not the good adjective, <laughs> but like some really fantastic homilies oh, so far so i think you have God. a good charism for speaking but i don't know what Wonderful. do you what don't let me project um, onto you yeah uh let's see uh one thing i have put it this way i'll, I'll speak negatively um one thing i've definitely found that isn't always a charism for me is hearing confessions actually um because at my parish sometimes you'll have these like blocks of time where you're like hearing confessions for like a full hour or like potentially up to two hours wow. <laughs> and especially there have been a few times where it's like okay the hour's up and then people keep coming still and it's been another 15 minutes another 20 minutes coming up on a half an hour and i mean beautiful opportunity to experience poverty because right. it's like oh my goodness <laughs> you gotta go to the bathroom yeah, like exactly. can't leave <laughs> no but if anything just like a beautiful moment to be like all right on a human level, I'm like reaching the, I just can't <laughs> point, but oh my goodness, I also believe that this is really important. So like, Lord, give me the grace to be generous and stay here. Um, okay. So, but that was a negative example. Positive example, actually kind of like Father Alex, I, I can kind of go on admin tears Ooh. myself. That's um, probably so nice for your admin pastor. Tears. <laughs> See, people that have the charism for administration, they would call it a tear. Because it's like, you know, you are you start and then the admin just going. We're yeah, on the admin Well, train. it's just one of, yeah, like it's one of the, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can be a little bit of a flimsy, like I have the energy for it. I don't. But it's it's just one of these things where it's like, all right. I mean, perfect example is like, oh, do we have like a documented process for handling X? No. Excellent. <laughs> Let me construct it. You use like, you know, predis- preset styles like header one, header two as well. <laughs> That's what no. the hard hitters do. No, 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 no. If anything, yeah. I think yeah. you guys will be competing for that job in the pastoral. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. All right. Yeah. I was like literally 30 years old before I even knew that on Excel sheet, if I just highlighted a column, it would calculate the, the total for me, like the sum. So like I'm so, I don't know what the word is, just like backwards in. I, I uh, But you have, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I was just going to kind of like take a shot. <laughs> With with due reference, Mary Rose, it's called uh, using Google. <laughs> didn't even know that was a thing to Google. Yeah, she didn't know about Google. I do wow. know about Google, but <laughs> okay. but a spreadsheet. I still I use spreadsheets, but I don't use them properly. I just mm-hmm. sort of like here's some columns I can arrange information in. I don't know any of the functions that it can like make my life easier. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so let's wrap this up um, and just briefly share something about. Um, what you what what is sort of part of your mission statement as a priest? Like, what do you feel is like at the heart of the priesthood in general, but also maybe in particular, like at this this stage in your in your journey? Father Kyle's still discerning, so <laughs> you're gonna start with him. <laughs> All right, I yeah, I actually kind of already off the off the hip have one. Um, I would say a really 
important thing for me already in living the priesthood is, you know, it's not my priesthood. It's Jesus's priesthood. And it's being, in a sense, like exercised and like lived out through me. And if anything, and kind of going off of that, what I've, I've just found really beautiful so far is like, in a sense, having a clarity and a confidence and saying like, what parts Jesus's part and like what part it's just like the Ryan Brown part kind of coming out because I mean, again, like kind of thinking back to seminary and kind of going off of what father Alex was saying earlier in terms of like, uh, yeah, I don't know, kind of imposing expectations. Like, I don't know. I think there can just be so many kind of assumptions about like, you know, how priests are supposed to sort of like behave or act or be like, you know, and I don't know. I, it's just been really beautiful and it's, I don't know. I just feel very much feel like I've been following the Lord's lead in terms of saying like, Nope, I'm Ryan Brom. Hello. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, but also having this like reverence for the fact that, yeah, like, you know, it's not just like the Ryan Brom show for the sake of the Ryan Brom show, but the, like the Lord Jesus has this desire and this plan for sort of working through in a sense, like the sort of visceral ways in which I just, am the man that I am not not like oh, okay so I'm incredibly idiosyncratic like good luck everyone else right but, <laughs> but just like having this kind of confidence and like yeah like I can't really do anything other than be myself and yet Jesus works through that and thank God for that yeah, I think um like like you said as as I was discerning here for a moment <laughs> yes <laughs> um one of the ideas that had come to mind was was you know, in a, in a sense, still still trying to figure it out because, uh, as Father Brahm said, in a sense, um, just trying to see what Jesus has in store and kind of making that continued discernment with, okay, where's where's he leading me? Might not be always the place where I see at first as well. But um, well, I don't know one place I hope that it is is that uh, a sort of biblical. I've kind of had a love for the the scriptures a lot, and I I did some studies recently scriptures and stuff so i'd really like to see that come out and play a part and i know um, a spiritual director i used to work with um, would always recommend like hey what i think the church needs right now is a is a kind of renewal and a synthesis of scripture and spirituality together um, i think that that sounded very powerful to me so nice i think there's mission statements i could give as a disciple of jesus and there's mission statements I could give as a, a priest of Jesus. And I guess the question is to speak to the latter. So specifically as a, as a priest, I think I'm uh, made ever more conscious of the great respect and deference that is given to me for, for no reason of my, my own personality, but rather just because of the office, of, of, of basically of who I represent. And so for me... I find as a priest, I'm uniquely postured to manifest or to make concrete um, to people that God loves them because they rightly or wrongly, definitely wrongly, kind of equivocate me with the voice of God in their life. So if I'm nice to them and show mercy to them, even in the midst of their sinfulness, then Jesus is nice to them and is merciful to them in their sinfulness. If I convince them and treat them as if their life matters, as if their words hold weight, even when maybe people haven't always treated them that way, then it's Jesus 
who, who does those things to them, who tells them their life matters. And so I'm just conscious of the gravity of my actions and gestures to really communicate to people how God views them or how God is at work in their lives. And so I just, my mission is to, to not take that lightly, but to examine everything I say, especially in one-on-one kind of consultations with people. They turn for me, turn to me for some sort of counsel or direction in their life um, to really think what is the, what does the Holy Spirit have for this person right now? What does this person need to hear right now? And try to let that kind of guide my actions pastorally rather than kind of my own hopes for where this person could be, kind of my own, you know, dreams for them. You know, it's kind of like a parent has a good dreams yeah. for their kids. Like, yeah. I want them to go to this school and, you know, get married and whatever, have kids. And it's, it's great, it might be very noble, but it actually says more about me than about them. So instead, just kind of conscious of the gravity of what my words and actions carry, I try my best to hear what does the Holy Spirit have for them as the very next step right now and let that guide my words and actions. Nice. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And, you know, we, we pray that God has great things in store for you all as his priests. So rock on, says my... <laughs> yeah, rock on. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and all of the episodes of season one of The Crab and the Cross. Don't forget to share your feedback by leaving a comment on YouTube, on Instagram, um, sending me an email at thecrabandthecross at gmail.com, and especially leaving a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. Now, a little bit of what's to come for season two. I don't want to give any names away yet, but... Some things you can look forward to. I interview a number of priests, including a priest who was an alcoholic for almost 20 years before returning to the Catholic faith. Another priest who was diagnosed with autism not long after being ordained. Um, I talked to a theologian where we get into the nitty gritty of the still unsettled debate about how God's omnipotence works with and does not compromise human free will. Uh, I talked to a poet and we get into the world of Catholic dating. I talked to an animator who has some incredible inspirational videos on YouTube. Um, I talked to a number of authors, including one who has some pretty severe critiques to say towards some of the bishops of the world. Um, And my first ever scientist as a guest. We are going to get into the science of sleep and also talk about wellness from a Catholic perspective. So I have recorded a number of these interviews already. Some of them are yet to come. I know you're going to love them. Please, in the meantime, get caught up and re-listen to your favorite episodes and share them with people you think would enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much for your support. And again, have a blessed Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.